Good morning. We are continuing in our series of By Faith, and so a short explanation to those guests who are in the room. We have been walking through Hebrews chapter 11 all through this year. Uh, We have gotten to the portion where the writer of the book of Hebrews speeds up and he starts going through a list of amazing things that have happened. Last time we had our message on he closed the mouth of lions. This time we're on quenching the power of fire. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 3. All right, let's jump into the text today this way. Have any of you ever felt like God was not out there? Anybody ever had a question in your mind, God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what's happening to me right now? Just perhaps some of you have felt that way. Perhaps one morning you know that the job career fair is taking place on Cedarville's campus and you get all dressed up and you take a shower, you even use deodorant, and, and you put on your, your one suit, right? You got the suit on, you're ready to go, and, and your business suit is on, and you've got your resume, and it's printed on 100% cotton linen paper, and you made sure the watermark was turned the right way, and you are ready to go kill it. And you walk into the job fair, and you meet the perfect company for you. They need you. I mean, they really need you. And you meet the person and you shake hands with that firm handshake and you make eye contact and they smile and you walk away and you think, "Ah, I killed it. And then the next day you get a phone call and they say, we've gone another direction. Anybody ever been there? If you've ever been sitting in your dorm room doing the thing that you always do in your dorm room, studying. (laughs) And the cell phone rings and it's dad, and you immediately notice it's dad on the phone, and your first thought is, did I spend too much money on the credit card? But then you answer, and dad says, I've got some bad news for you. Perhaps on the other end of that phone, he's telling you that a loved one has been lost, or that a job has been lost, puts your educational future in jeopardy, You hang up the phone, you sit in your dorm room and you're in your chair and you're just sitting there thinking, God, do you know what's going on right now? You out there? Perhaps you came to Cedarville and you had your mind made up in the ninth grade that you were going to be an engineer or that you were going to be a nurse or that you were going to have a special degree that you were just dedicated to, the PharmD program, something. And you get in that class, whatever that class is, statistics, biology, you name it, that class, and you don't get the grade you need. And that semester you're struggling with God, are you out there and do you know what I'm going through? Faculty and staff also in the room, perhaps you get the phone call or perhaps it's not a phone call. Perhaps you go to visit a doctor and you're sitting in the doctor's office and as the doctor goes away, you're sitting there wasting time while Everything is happening behind the scenes and you're just killing time. So you do what most people do. You play Angry Birds or something on your phone or get on Facebook or something. And you're waiting and you notice it's taking a little longer than usual. And the doctor comes back into the room and the doctor says, we need to talk. We need to have a conversation. We found something. And the conversation that ensues over the next couple of hours talks about surgery options and chemotherapy and what this is going to look like for the next several months of your life. And we have several faculty and staff right now going through those very discussions. And perhaps you look and you thought, God, are you out there? And do you know what's happening with me? 
Anybody this morning willing to raise your hand and say, I have been there? Raise your hand up. All right, I want you to look around the room. Keep those hands up. I want you to look around the room. I want you to see how many people have been there. I think our text today, I think our text speaks exactly to that type moment. It doesn't mean that you're doubting the existence of God. It doesn't mean that you've run away from God. You can be standing firm for God, and things can happen in your life, and you can wonder, God, are you out there, and do you know what's going on? We come to Daniel chapter 3, and just to catch you up to speed on the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, you have the Babylonian captivity that's taking place. They take them away from their families. They're taken thousands of miles away from home. There are no forms of communication such as FaceTime or iPhone 5s or Android apps or any of that type stuff that they can communicate with. They are separated. They are in captivity. And chapter 1 talks about how to live a faithful life in a faithless world and They do that, and you move to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, you have the dream and the need to interpret the dream for the king, and so you understand that God is the giver and the interpreter of all dreams, and after all of this, you would think prosperity is going to come along. They are following God. They have stood for God, and you get to Daniel chapter 3, and the first thing we learn is that after that dream, Nebuchadnezzar has made a golden image, it says, of 60 cubits, and its breast six cubits. So there's a gold image that has been made, and we don't know exactly what it looks like, but it's 90 90 feet tall and it's nine feet wide. So in your mind, kind of think Washington Monument because it has the same type dimensions. The Washington Monument's 550 feet tall and 55 feet wide. This is only 90 feet tall. So the initial question is, why is it only so short? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. We do know that when they built the tower the last time in Babel, they tried to build it up to the heavens and God took care of that and dispersed them with other languages. And so maybe they wanted to build a tower, but not so high that they would make God mad. So anyway, they went 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. It's a gold idol of some sort. We don't know what it looked like. It could be a person. It could have been some God of that time. It could just be gold. We don't know. I suspect it's probably not an image of Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar was there in person. If he wanted them to worship him, he would just say, bow down to me. So it's probably one of the other gods or just an obelisk type uh, statue that's up and it's 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and they bring everybody together. So this is a big deal. As they get everybody together, it says that you have to bow down to worship the golden image. Now in this text, in this one chapter, the word worship shows up 11 times. That's key for us to understand because what this text is telling us is that you will worship something. You were created to worship. The question is not if you will worship, the question is what you will worship. And that's the question that all of us have to answer. So in our life, as we look at this chapter, it may not be a gold statue that we have to worry about bowing down in front of, but it might be materialism or reputation or a temptation or pride, or some other idol that you are placing on the throne of your heart, some other item or object that you are placing as the pinnacle of your desire that replaces God, and as soon as something replaces God as the pinnacle of your desire, you have an idol, and as we've already heard this week, when you have that, you have a false God and a false gospel. Here, we see worship 11 times. Now, if you would, and if you're able to, Stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word as we read beginning in verse 8 of chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. 
They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger on the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Dear Lord, as we look at this text, we thank you that you are an awesome and glorious God. And Father, today we pray that we would just catch a glimpse of your greatness and your majesty and that it would inspire us to serve you more. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. This is a a narrative text. As this narrative text flows through, you're going to see several things. First, you're going to see the charges that take place, and that occurs in verses 8 through verse 12. In verse 8, it talks about the Chaldeans who have come forward, and you'll notice the word maliciously there. It says they maliciously accused the Jews. They didn't like the fact that they had been appointed over them. They didn't like the fact that they were having to serve under the power of foreigners, and so they maliciously attacked them. They declared to the king, and you can see it in the text here as it occurs elsewhere in Daniel, that when people went before the king, they had memorized these formulaic sayings of respect, and they had even memorized the entire command because they recount all of the musical instruments. And so they come to the king, in essence, flattering the king in one way or another, and they say to the king in verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs in the province of Babylon. You see the word certain, and you see them maliciously accused, and then here they go beyond that, and they say they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image, and in fact, they go too far when they say they pay you no attention. Here's why I think they go too far. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed up for the ceremony. They showed up in their Sunday best. They had on all of the garb of the day, and they say, how do you know that? Well, later on in the chapter, it talks about them being dressed in their hats and their robes and everything else, and so they put on all the clothes they possibly could to to be right for the event. They didn't show up to the wedding wearing a Hawaiian shirt and Bermuda shorts. They showed up to the festival that was taking place, to this ceremony that was happening, dressed as they were supposed to. They did all they could to abide by the law, But as soon as Nebuchadnezzar in his command said, bow down and worship another God, they said, we cannot do that for God's word prohibits it. They paid attention to the command. I imagine they wrestled with what to do with this command. I imagine there was a moment or two where they felt like, God, do you know what's happening? Are you out there? Are you in control? As they were commanded to come and to bow down, and they knew what would happen if they didn't bow down. They knew there was a furnace off in the distance that had likely been used to melt the gold to create the very image that they were being commanded to bow down to. So who are these people? Well, you know them. It's Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are their Hebrew names. 
They're taken into Babylonian captivity along with thousands of others. You'll notice that we don't see any mention of the thousands of others, so apparently they bowed down before the image. Chapter one, you'll know that they changed their names. They put them through an educational system, and they also changed their culture of what they were to eat and some other things. So they changed Daniel's name, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect his life. They changed Hananiah, which means the Lord shows grace, to Shadrach, meaning command of a cue. They changed Mishael, which means who is like God, to Meshach, meaning who is like a cue. They changed Azariah, which means the Lord is my help, to Abednego, which means a servant of Nebo. They tried to take God out of their names. They tried to put them in an educational system for roughly three years that would reprogram them in the way they think into a secular worldview so that they would fit within the Babylonian culture. And they even tried to have them eat and drink of the king's food and the king's drink so that they would participate in the culture of Babylon, grow accustomed to it, like it, and then accept it and be willing to defend it. These guys were hardcore. These guys stood solid. They didn't mind that their names were changed. They knew who they were. They filtered the education through God's word. They stayed firm. They stayed solid for him, which is hard enough. And they even went vegetarian in chapter one. Now, there's a couple of you in here that would like to go vegetarian. I'm thankful for you because that keeps my steak prices down, right? I have no problem with you going vegetarian. But for me, that would be a hard thing to do. Because see, personally, I'm green. I really don't think lettuce has ever done anything to hurt me and I don't wanna kill it or harm it in any way possible. I especially don't think it's right to put that lettuce on top of my cheeseburger because it'll just mess it up. And so for them to go vegetarian and say, we're only gonna eat vegetables, we're not gonna eat, I mean, come on, beef is how the West was one, right? I mean, meat, that's what's for dinner. I mean, that's. You know, the perfect meal is like a big steak with more meat on top of it and more meat on the side and more meat for dessert, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's, it, meat is what, it's, I couldn't do it. I, I don't know that I could live off of just vegetables. I mean, I don't even really like the, the veggie tails because there's broccoli and asparagus and stuff. I'm just saying, it's, we, need, we need, oh, you didn't like that one, huh? That's okay. You can like the veggie tails. It's all about meat. I mean, this is, that's where you get your protein from. That's how you build your muscle. And yet they went against all of those different cultures. So what I'm setting up the scene for you is to say to you, these were sincere, devout followers of Christ. They loved God. They followed God. They weren't playing any jokes. And here they come to this point in their life and life is not an easy bed of roses for them even though they were following God. They are challenged and they are accused and they are accused falsely. And when the accusation comes, then watch what happens next in the text. There's a confrontation that follows with Nebuchadnezzar. Instead of God exalting them and making life easy for them because they choose to stand for the word of God, here's what happens in the confrontation. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar, it says in furious rage. And if you've read through the book of Daniel, you'll note that Nebuchadnezzar had a problem with anger. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar liked to destroy things. I mean, he was... He he had an issue with his anger, and we'll see that again later in this text. And in furious rage, he said, bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here. So they brought him before the king. Nebuchadnezzar then answers, and I think what I see happening in the text, because he says, is it true? You kind of get that ringing of where he comes. He just can't fathom that they won't bow down before this idol. And he says to him, is it true that you won't bow down? I think he's thinking this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you don't understand what's happening here. 
You see, I'm not asking you to give up your God. I'm just asking you to live in a pluralistic society and to bow down to my God in addition to your God. You can still bow down to your God, but you can't have an exclusive God because if you have an exclusive God, then that fights against the God of our government and our society, and that makes you a traitor. And so I'm not asking you to give up your God. I'm just asking you to bow down to an additional God. And if you refuse to bow down to additional gods, then you've got a problem because we can't tolerate you in our society because you're intolerant. Does that sound familiar? Do we live in a society where the biggest thing that people want to tell us is that you cannot have exclusive truth? You cannot have an exclusive Savior? You can have your religion. Just keep it private. Keep it to yourself. Don't bring it in the public sphere and accept everything else that we want to put in the same time. Boy, doesn't this text all of a sudden become applicable to today? Here they are asked this question. It's put before them, is it true? Verse 15, he says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of all of these instruments, bow down and worship the image that I have made well and good. It's okay. You don't understand. I've explained it to you now. It's pretty simple. All I'm asking you to do is to add this God to all your other gods. No big deal. Bow down and worship. And if you don't, then you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And then he asked the question, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now notice what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and they said, well, wait a second. Y'all mind if I use a little sanctified imagination for the moment? Can you put yourself in the position of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? As they come before Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in all of the world, and they see all of his strong men perhaps on one side, his servants on the other side, all of the musicians that have been named are around, people are gathering around to watch, those who have made the accusation are certainly there to see what's going to happen. So there's a large number of people, the most powerful person ever, and before them stands three men, ready to defy the most powerful human being on the planet at that time. And he says to them, bow down and worship or go meet my fiery furnace. Now in my mind, or at least for this sermon, imagine that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego huddle up. You remember like Family Feud used to do when you had that final answer and the family would huddle up and get their answer together. And perhaps they huddled up and perhaps we would huddle up if we were been there and we would have said, all right, guys, what are we gonna do? Well, guys... I have to say, I would rather be a servant in the king's army than ashes in the king's furnace. That's not what they said. Maybe one of them said, you know, I was watching TV the other day and I saw a commercial and it said what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. That's not what happened. And maybe they gathered together and they huddled up and they said, guys, I was on Facebook the other day and there was this person that said that God had intended for us to make us, just to make us happy. And this fiery furnace is not making me happy. And so I'm not, I'm just going to go ahead and bow down because if God wants me to be happy, I want to be happy too. And that fire is not going to make me happy. Maybe they huddled together and they said something like, we can bow the knee without bowing the heart, whatever that means. What would you have said? Put yourself in that position. A tense situation 
with everything on the line, everybody watching, knowing that God is looking on as well because he is omnipotent and omnipresent and all-powerful and everywhere. And as God looks on, they stand before the most powerful human. And here is how they respond to him when they come back and they say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They had not been reading how to win friends and influence people. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. What does that mean? Well, that may mean that even if he lets us die, then eventually we're going to go be with him because there is a resurrection. And so he's going to deliver us from you one way or the other, whether through life or through death, he will deliver us from you. But even if not, even if he doesn't deliver us through life, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, there's an important point to catch here. The Bible never promises that God will deliver us from the fiery furnace. The Bible never promises that God will close the mouth of the lions. All throughout the hallways of history, you have martyrs like Nate Saint and others who have gone out for the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have been martyred for their faith. The Bible doesn't promise us that we're gonna be saved. So this is not our get out of jail free card, but this is indicating to us that God is able to save us. God will be with us. You will never be alone in the fires of life or in the lion's dens of life. You will never be without God for he is everywhere. He is before us and behind us. Respond to Nebuchadnezzar in this way. How do you think he responded back? Well, the text gives us a good image here. See if I can paint the picture for you. It says in the original languages basically that his countenance fell. So imagine going to a window and turning the blinds and the blinds go from open to closed. You know how the countenance kind of falls on those blinds as they go from open to close. In my mind, this is how it happens as he's sitting in his throne seat there with everybody around, is you kind of see on his face the falling demeanor and the furrowed brow, and at the same time, creeping up from out under his collar, you see the red as it begins to adorn upon his head and take over his entire face. Have any of you ever seen that before? I have, when I made my dad real mad. And it probably happens when I get real mad too. It crawls up and your entire face becomes red. And when you get madder, there are two lines that form in between your eyes to indicate that the furrowed brow says, I am not happy with you. And if you get real mad, especially if you're in my family, there's a little vein that will come out right here along the side of your temple. And there's another little vein that will emerge from the side of your neck. And in a really, really bad case, that vein begins to pulse as though it's going to jump out of the side of your head as your heart is beating wildly inside of your own head. And you feel every heartbeat and rage takes over as you absolutely lose control. That's what he had happen here. Look, it says he was filled with fury. The expression of his face changed and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than it was usually heated. Seven times being that number of completion, that number probably an exaggeration saying to them, heat that furnace up as hot as it will absolutely go. And then he ordered them to bind him, bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into that furnace. And the men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And what we see here in scripture is we see that he lost his temper and he made a bad decision. Think about this for just a second. If you really wanted to make an example of them, why didn't he say, turn that furnace down to a slow roast? Let's make a 
big scene out of all this happening. Instead, he erupts in anger and he says, heat it seven times hotter. And we're going to see later in the text that that ends up costing his own strong men their lives. See in the text here, he says, bind them and just throw them in. Get rid of them. Get them out of my sight. Do away with them. And here I think there's an application for us too because we know that Nebuchadnezzar has rage issues. Anytime you have issues with anger and temper, then what you end up doing is negatively affecting those who are around you just like he negatively affected his strong men as they were destroyed. And so if you have an anger issue as I used to have in my younger years and the Lord thankfully has calmed my anger down a whole lot, if you have one of those anger issues, you need to pray and you need to seek God and you need to memorize scriptures and you need to work to make sure that you get your anger under control and you don't let it control you. If you have a violent temper, it's going to affect you in your relationship, especially if you get married, it's going to affect you in that relationship. It's going to affect you at work. It's going to affect you with your friends. It is going to affect every area of your life when you fly off the handle and lose control. And if you have children, children will sometimes drive you up to your possible limit. If you explode at them, you are exploding with a temper against the people you love and the people you want to shepherd to have a heart toward God. And you cannot have a temper that just explodes and destroys those around you. So I I urge you right now, students, if you have a temper issue, begin working on it now. Don't wait. Begin seeking God to help tame that temper right now. Continues on here. Says the men were bound. Says they were thrown into the furnace and that's all we get. Think about the picture here. I'm going to use this side of the chapel. Don't be offended. Y'all are not the fiery furnace, but for today you are. The fiery furnace from history, we understand, looked something like one of those old-timey milk jugs that they might bring to the doors of a house to drop off the milk. And so it had an opening, it narrowed down a little bit, it came back out, and it had kind of that square base. We know from the text that Nebuchadnezzar could see into the furnace, so probably it had a way at the bottom in order to put things in that would burn like coal or wood, maybe some pumps to where you could put more oxygen in to heat it up if you needed it hotter. And as they walked up, it was probably in the side of a hill, in the side of a mountain, they would walk up to the top. As you walked up to the top, they would lower things down into it. The bottom, they would put what was burning, and then this would allow them to melt the gold or whatever was being melted so that they could use it to do what they wanted to do. So that meant they had to go from Nebuchadnezzar's presence to walking up this hill to go up to the top of the opening of the fiery furnace. Can you imagine the conversations that occurred as they began to walk up that hill? Hey, Shadrach, plan one didn't work out so well. You got a plan two? Meshach, it's been nice knowing you. I'll see you on the other side. God, you out there? Do you know what's happening in my life right now? Are you aware? You think they wondered? As they walked up and got closer and closer to that fiery furnace, and then the text tells us that the flames jumped up. The flames destroyed the strong men. Can you see it in your mind? You can see the flames jumping up. I'll prove it to you. How many of you have ever grilled out And as you were grilling out, perhaps it's like me and you were grilling and I'll pretend this is my grill and you put more burgers on than usual because you had invited some friends over. And and as you had all of those burgers on, all of a sudden you begin to notice some smoke kind of coming out the back of the grill. And and when you notice the smoke coming out of the back of the grill, what's your first instinct when you're grilling? 
I got to open it up and see what's happening inside. And so you grab a hold of that handle and you open that lid and all of that air rushes in. And all of a sudden, what happens when that oxygen hits that fire? It flashes up and goes everywhere, right? Anybody else ever had that happen? I know I'm not the only one. Come on now. Don't let me hang it. And when those flames jump up, they kiss the sky. What else do they kiss? The hairs on your hand. And so you look down on your hand and you notice where hairs used to be. There are these little curly Q things that are just black. And so you move them closer and you notice they don't smell too good either. And you begin to brush them off and they just fall. Hopefully not in the burgers, but they just fall. (laughs) And then you grab the burgers because now they've been flame kissed and they've got a nice little crusty edge to the outside of them. And you put them on the plate and you begin to go inside and you open the door to go inside and they look at you and they say, what happened to you? And you go, oh. And as they fall past your nose, you again notice that that's not too pleasant of a smell or an environment. And again, you hope they don't fall into the burgers. And then you continue on as though nothing happened. Anybody ever seen it? Perhaps you're like me. You're just a good country boy. You've been out at a campfire and there has never in the history of mankind been a campfire that was big enough. And so to roast those marshmallows adequately, you need a fire of at least eight to 10 feet high. And so you decide that the puny little fire that is sitting over here to the side is not nearly good enough for your roasting capabilities. And so you take whatever's available, gasoline, your mom's hairspray, it doesn't matter, your deodorant, I mean, whatever, if you're using aerosol, right, it's fun. So you just throw it all in there. And then you turn around with those famous words of every last country boy and you say, hey, y'all, watch this as that fire explodes and erupts and those flames jump up and kiss the sky and you've seen it happen. And that's what happens in our text. It says they went to throw them over, but in verse 22, because the king's order was urgent, because the furnace was overheated, the flames of the fire jumped up and those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of those men were destroyed. Can you see the image? The flames jump up, they grab the strong men, they kill the strong men, and all of a sudden Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall over into this fiery furnace, and we don't know what happened. The text doesn't tell us, but in my mind, they hit the bottom in this fiery furnace, and and as they hit the bottom, they probably looked around for a moment. Shadrach, you okay? Yeah, Meshach. Is this heaven? I don't know. It looks a lot more like hell to me. Hey, hey, um, hey, guys, who's that? Oh, that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. No, 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 he's over there. Guys, I, there's, there's three of us, but, but who's that? This text tells us they walked around. They began to look up, and they began to realize that the fires were not burning them. Their clothes were not singed. Their hairs were not singed. And there was a fourth person in the fire that Nebuchadnezzar describes as a son of the gods. Can you imagine that moment in life when you were in the fiery furnace and you look up and you are not destroyed? And not only are you not destroyed, but right there with you is a son of the gods or described as an angel. Now, is this a Christophany? We don't know, but does it really matter? If God sent an angel or if God sent his son in the Old Testament as a Christophany, they are in the middle of a fiery furnace. And I imagine right about that time, they went bad to cost on us up in there, right? I mean, they, they started raising their hands and getting excited. And if I had been in there, I would have completely ruined it because I would have looked back over to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, where's the marshmallows? It's nice in here. Come on in. The sauna feels good. But I wasn't there. Can you imagine that they probably had to pull them out? 
Nebuchadnezzar, can you see him here? You see in verse 24, it talks about it. He's sitting in his throne. He probably rubs his eyes. He looks around. He begins talking to those beside him. Hey, how many men did we put in there? Three, sir. You don't know what you're talking about. How many men did we put in there? Three, sir. And he looks and he rubs his eyes again and he focuses forward and the test said, did we not cast three men into the fire? But I see four men unbound walking around in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door And you notice that the only thing burned in the fire were the ropes of Nebuchadnezzar. The only men hurt were his strong men. And there stood Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a fourth person in the fire, unbowed and unburned because they served the living God. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. Notice, he says, servants of the most high God in verse 26, but he never asked for the fourth person to come out. Why not? Remind you, Verse 15, and who is the God? He's looking at him. I don't think he wants who is the God to come out and introduce himself at that moment in time. And so he asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, everybody went and saw that the power of the fire had no power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their clothes were not harmed, the smell of fire had not come upon them. Imagine the scene, they walk down, they look at their feet. Their feet, they've been walking on hot coals, there are no blisters on their feet. They look at a tassel that's hanging from their robes and it's not even singed, not one little bit. They look at their arms and their hairs on their arms are not singed. They might have even smelled them, which would have been really weird, but there's no smell on their arms. They look at the tassels from their hair and they have not been touched, proving that God is in control of the fire and the clothes and the people and everything else. Our God that we are here worshiping today is in control of all things. That deserves a good amen. Thank you. Our God is awesome. Think about it. I can't walk into a convenience store that allows smoking and be in there for five minutes without walking out and smelling like smoke. So I hear, you can't eat at Chuck's without walking out and smelling like Chuck's. (laughs) I've never experienced that. But notice what the text says. The smell of fire was not even on them. God was so detailed in his saving of them that they didn't even smell like the smoke that they were around. Notice what happens here. All of them saw it. They saw that the fire had no power. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, delivered his servants, who would yield up their bodies rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. He's still working with that anger problem right here. And their house shall be laid to ruins, for there's no other God able to rescue in this way. Then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. If this were a prosperity sermon, it would have been titled, How to Get a Promotion. But it's not. God could have let them die for their faith. He chose not to in this situation. I've got two applications for you, and I'll close real quickly. Number one, be faithful to God. Number two, be fearless of man. So number one, be faithful to God. What does that mean? It means even when you think, God, are you out there? God, do you know about my situation? God, do you know what's going on with me? He knows. Be faithful to God. In those times when you're tempted, in those times where trials come for you to bow down to some idol of this world, you will never regret being faithful to God. Think about it. 
What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had bowed down to the idol? They never would have gone through the fiery furnace, but they never would have seen God show up in the fiery furnace with them, and they would have missed out on the blessings of God. I'm here to testify to you today that you be faithful to God, and God will never let you down. He is faithful. He will be there. Romans tells us that all things work to good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean it'll be easy, but he will work them for good. It's the second application I see in here, and it's do not be fearful of man. The most powerful person in the world commanded them to do something. They said, no, I have to obey God rather than man. I challenge you, don't be fearful of man. Don't seek the approval of man more than you seek the approval of God. Don't worry about what this world is gonna say about you because if you stand for the word of God, if you stand for the truth that is contained in this book, there are gonna be times that the world looks at you and they say things that about you that are not true. They say you are hateful. They say you are a bigot. They say that all these things about you, they say you don't understand. They say that you're intolerant when in actuality, we need to share the love of Christ with them because we love them and we want them to know the truth and we want them to know that there's an eternal hell and an eternal heaven and we want them to know that Jesus loves them and died for their sins and there is a right way to live life on this earth and it results in a glorious life with Jesus later and we love them enough to be honest with them. Be fearless of man. With Job, you say, though he slay me, I will follow him. With Paul, you say, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ, and nobody on this earth can do anything to me because God has a resurrection awaiting for us one day, and eternity is there in the balance, and I'm gonna live my life on this earth for him and not for anybody else, and I'm gonna stand on this earth for him and not for anybody else, and if that means I have to die a martyr's death, then my God is worth it because he came down to this earth in the form of a babe and went to a cross voluntarily and died a martyr's death for my sin that placed him there, not his own. And so if I have to give this life for God, the only regret Regret is that I have but one life to give for my God. And some of you may have to do that. Decide today that you will be faithful to God and you will forever be fearless of man. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would take the truths of your word and drive them deep into our hearts. Father, if I've said anything that contradicts with your word today, I pray that you would just help people to forget it. But God, for any truth that comes forward from your word, I pray that you would help it just to continue to resound in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we wanna live a life that is sold out and faithful to you, and God, help us to be faithful to do just that. You are a glorious and a great God and worthy of our praise and worthy of 100% devotion, so God, help us to live our lives faithful to you because we know that you are faithful and that we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.